God is good all the time. Amen. I too want to say good morning and greetings. It is good to be at Waterworks again. I treasure our times here, and I think my daughters even treasure it more. Yes, we're going to Grammel's church. So it is good to be here and worship with you all. I bring greetings from Myerstown. This morning, I wanted to start off with a question, and I would like some feedback. And the question is this, what is the most important thing in life? If somebody asked you, came up to you and said, what is the most important thing, what would you say? I'm going to start with the youngest, so children under the age of 10. What do you think is the most important thing in life? Anybody brave enough to say? Obey your parents. That's the most important thing. I love it, okay? Somebody under the age of 20. If you were to say what is the most important thing in life, what would you say? Meditation on the Bible. I like it. Anything else? Okay, somebody under 40. Relationship with Jesus. Relationship with Jesus. Hmm. Okay, obedience. Anybody over 40? What is the most important thing in life? Peace with God. Peace with God. Worship. Worship. Thank you. There is important things in life, and we all named a couple that we would say, you know what, this is one of the most important things that we need to think about. So we'll circle back to that in a bit. Uh, one, what do you think the most common question I get asked at school? So those of you don't know, I'm involved in school and teaching. And so the, in my years of teaching, the most common question that students ask, we're in the middle of a math class. Mr. Weaver, when am I ever going to need this in my job? This is, this is my response, and I found a typical teacher's response. Well, if you ever are a farmer, you may need to calculate how you mix the feed for your cows. Or if you ever are a baker to the girls, you might need to use these formulas to figure out your recipe. It's a student. But Mr. Weaver, I'm never going to be a farmer. And then it breaks down. So why are we learning this? Why are the things that we dig into at school, why do we need to learn it? I'd love to say, what would you say? What's the purpose of school? If you were a teacher and a student, say, why do I need to learn this? I would like to tell you a story about a boy named Theodore. Theodore was a seven-year-old boy who lived in Sparta. Anybody know where Sparta is? Over in Europe in the country of Greece. 
As Theodore was growing up, he had a mom who cared for him deeply. And he relished that love. He also knew he had a dad that cared for him, but he never saw his dad. His dad was off somewhere doing something for the good of the community, but he never saw him. Finally, on his, around his fourth birthday, his dad arrived back in the village. And as he came down the street, they lifted his dad up on their shoulders, and his dad was holding a shield. The shield that he was accustomed to seeing quite often. And as his dad arrived, they threw a celebration. His dad had arrived home with the shield. They celebrated his victory at war. The whole town was there to celebrate. So they left that celebration. And as Theodore continued to grow, he knew he had an older brother named Anders. But again, he never saw him. Finally, around his sixth birthday, there was a shield that arrived in town. And they celebrated the same way they had done when his father and his shield had came back home. They celebrated, and it was the shield of his brother Anders. But there was very few tears of sorrow. It was mostly tears of joy. They were celebrating a life of victory. Anders had fulfilled his mission. No, he had not returned, but rather he had returned on his shield. Theodore asked questions, why is nobody grieving? And his mom and dad simply pulled him aside and said, but son, why would we grieve when Anders fulfilled his mission? Let's fast forward to Theodore's seventh birthday party. At Theodore's seventh birthday party, they threw a big celebration. The town knew how to celebrate. And as they called the community together, they had food, a birthday cake. He was turning seven. And at the end of the party, his mother disappeared for a little bit and returned with a shield. A shield that was bigger than him. And she presented the shield to Theodore with these words. Return with this shield or on it. That was the last words he heard from his mother. The next day he went off to boot camp, never to return to the town again. Simply, his shield returned several years later. You see, Theodore, growing up, was taught that the purpose of his life was to get trained to go to battle. And no matter what, he was supposed to give his life for victory, whether he came back alive or on the shield. And from a very young age, the boys in the community could repeat this saying, return with the shield or on it. That's what their purpose in life was. It gave them purpose. Now, as I thought about children, how many children are here at Waterworks under the age of 18? I think I counted about 45, 40 to 45, somewhere in there. 40 to 45! That's more than the adults. But isn't that amazing? 
45 young souls who are going to soon be up front here leading the church when you are old. That's a beautiful thing. And as I look at children, I, I ask myself the same question I pose to you. What's the most important thing in life? What mantra, what quote are our children repeating? Are they repeating, return with a shield or die? Are they repeating the things that you told me are the most important? What do they hear from us as parents and adults? Is this their goal, their ultimate goal? As I think more about what our children are repeating, I think about this quote. Anybody ever see this? An African proverb. It takes a village to raise a child. What does that mean? It tells me that I can't raise my children by myself. I need a brotherhood. I need a village. I need a community. I need people around speaking into their lives as well. Yes, the family, mom and dad, are ultimately responsible for the raising of children, but it takes a village. It takes more than that. We're not in this alone, and that gives me hope. It takes a village to raise a child. Back to the most important thing in life now as I think about what I want my child, my children to be repeating. What's the first commandment? Or maybe I should say the greatest commandment. And the second? Love your neighbor as yourself. Remember the, the, the Pharisees were talking to Jesus and they were trying to trap him and they said, all right, Jesus, so now which of the commandments is the most important? He says, the greatest is this, love God. With everything you have. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. So could it be that the most important thing is to love God and to love others? Does, do the things we listed out earlier as the most important, do they fit under that umbrella? Obedience, worship. Yes, they do. So if we can have our children repeating, I am here to love God, and by my love for God, because of my love for God, I am going to serve others. I am going to love others. Imagine if that would be our mantra, our quote that we live by. All our decisions that we make in life is based off of that. Love God, love others. So if that is an important thing, that sounds simplistic, there's a lot that fits underneath that, but ultimately our Christian walk comes to loving God. So if everything fits under that, how do we learn this? Should we start quoting it every Sunday morning? First part of the service, song leader gets up, all right, before we sing, let's say the most important thing. Why are we here? To love God and love others. That may be a way to get there. But the, going back to the Spartans, they not only believed it, they lived it, and they taught it. They believed it so much that at seven years old, they shipped their young boys off to boot camp, never to see them again, because it was for the good of the community. They believed in that purpose so much. So again, I pose the question, how do we want, how are our children going to learn 
that the most important thing they can do is love God. And out of that love for God, serve others. That's why we exist. So if our goal is men and women who love God by serving others, how do we get there? How do we train them? Education, how do we teach them? And when you hear the word education, sometimes their mind goes to school, but it's so much more than school. Education is learning, it's training. There's different parts of education and that happens in the family, that happens at church, it happens at school. All the different aspects of a young child's life is in training, in guiding, in learning. What are we communicating to them? School plays a huge part of it. And so yes, I'm involved in school. So school kind of has a really special place. And I think it's important that the church thinks about school because it is investing in the young people of who is going to lead our church in the future. So this morning I've entitled the message, Why School? And the sad part is, as we talk about, start talking about school, I already started losing some of you because school for some of us doesn't paint a pretty picture in the past. School wasn't easy or Maybe the school wasn't enjoyable, or some of, we, some of us had a tough time in school. And so as we think back to school and learning, it, it might make us a little nervous. But I invite you to think with me, what, why do we ask our children or put our children into learning? Why are we training them in school, in homeschool, wherever it may be? So I invite you to think about that this morning with me. I think it is important that we think about it as a church. So this morning we're going to look at what God says. We're going to look at a brief history of what people have done in the school. And don't worry, it's a story. And I'm not going to give you a test at the end. And then we're going to look at where we are. And then I'm just going to give you a little vision of what I think our Christian schools can become. And I hope that it can inspire you as we get to August and closer to to a new school year starting. I trust that we can think about why do we do school. So what does God say about learning? A couple verses. Genesis 18:19 speaks of uh, is when, when the angels were getting ready to uh, destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and they were close to Abraham, and God is saying, "Should I tell Abraham about my plans?" Then he says this in verse 19. He says, "Yes, because Abraham commands his children that they are going to keep the way of the Lord." An important thing in God's eyes was Abraham, a leader of the house, teaching his children to keep the way of the Lord. Training, education is important. Proverbs 29, 15 says, a child left to himself brings his mother shame. So if a child is left to themselves, they're not going to learn. They're not going to learn what's right. They need to be taught. They need to be educated, trained. Ephesians 6, 4 says, fathers, don't provoke not your children, but rather instruct them and discipline them in love. God cares about the training of young souls. And then Proverbs 22, 6 says, train a child in the way he should go. So at a very young age, train him, and in the future, he's not going to depart from it. Yes, every human has a choice. We all have choices as we get older what we're going to live by. But the younger we teach them, the more it's going to stick. And the Spartans obviously caught that. At a very young age, they sent them off. So what does God say about teaching and educating? He believes, he knows, he understands that a young soul needs to be guided, needs to be instructed, needs to be trained. 
So God says it's important. So looking back, did people believe it is important, and what did they do? How many of you have studied into, how many like history, first of all? Yeah, not too many historians, okay? Uh, history is an interesting thing because history, I often find it repeats itself. And as I looked back at school history specifically, it was intriguing to me how families, how people groups, what they believed about training a child. So I'm going to just bring out a couple uh, things that happened in the past about edu- in, the, in the realm of education. Starting back to Sparta, in a couple years before Christ came, in the era of the Theodore story, Sparta believed that the main purpose of their men was to protect their community. Therefore, at age seven, they shipped them off to boot camp, where they were trained how to fight at seven. They believed it that much. The mother was really a state nurse. They were taking care of, they would raise the children for a little bit, and then the boys would be shipped off. They were prepared for fighting. Education benefited the state. That's what their purpose was with educating their young souls. Sparta. Jump down to Athens. Again, at Athens, they believed at a very young age to go to school. So at age seven, if the family wasn't rich enough to hire a slave to be with their children 24 7, they would again send them off to a boarding school, you could say. The rich families would hire a slave to be with their children 24-7, educating them and teaching them every hour of the day. Found that interesting. That was in the city of Athens. Fast forward a little bit to the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire comes along and how they look at school and education, they said, ah, we need some organization here. So they put into place the elementary school, the secondary school, and colleges as we would know it today. They wanted school to be structured. And that similar system is, is used today. In that time, there was a man who came along, Quintilian, who was all, instead of forcing learning, they said, oh, we need to re- reward for students who do good. We need to make learning enjoyable. And, oh, by the way, no need to start at dawn. Uh, we can wait a little bit. Before this, there was a big push. As soon as the sun was up, you went to school. So how do you, what, do you, what do you think, Chloe? Should we start school at, when the sun goes up and stay at school till the sun goes down? No, I'm not a fan of that either. But the Roman Empire comes along and they said, no, that's not necessary. Let, let's shorten the school day. Let's structure this a bit. So that was the Roman Empire's view on education. Then you have the Jewish schools coming along. And they picked out respectable teachers of their community to teach the children. And they again circled back to, you know what, yes, we do need to start right when the sun rises. We need to make the most of our day, fill the whole day up with learning. What were their textbooks? The Old Testament. Their end result of what they wanted for their young souls was to be grounded in the law the Old Testament. That's why they taught, that's why they uh, trained their young children in the law. That was the Jewish schools. So you see, those, those four aspects of teaching, they educated a certain way. They all had their beliefs because they wanted an end result. They wanted to get to a certain place. The Spartans, the Athens, the Roman Empire, the Jewish schools. 
Now we fast forward to after the time of Christ, and we have the Catholics, uh, Catholic schools coming on, and you have the priest. In this era, 90% of the people were illiterate. So what do we have here this morning? About 60, 63, 63 people? So that means only about six of you could read or write. The rest of you couldn't read or write. And they believed that the priest would then, every worship service, would read from the Bible. Their mantra, I'm using that word this morning, their mantra, their, what they lived by, their life quote, was this, keep out the heretics. So they believed that if people don't know anything, they wouldn't be heretical. We'll just tell them what to believe. So let's not teach them anything. We'll just tell them what to believe. Uh, and the few people who want to become priests, yeah, we'll teach them. But we're only going to make the, the Bible available in Latin. So that was the era of the, of the Catholics. You only did school if you didn't have a real job. Hmm. Heard that already. Chivalry was taught as well to the young men. Chivalry was fighting, standing up. A sad part out of this era came the Crusades. The Crusades is when they said, we need to claim back the Holy Lands. And so they would march thousands of miles down to fight and get back Jerusalem. However, because they were illiterate, they didn't understand how far it actually was and understand the, all the dynamics of it. The people just went along with what was told of them. It was that bad that there was even a children's crusade. 30,000 young children went down, marched down thousands of miles, never to return because they just believed what they were told. We can gain back the Holy Lands. So we see a sad part of not educating, not teaching to think. Then came along the classical education of the, in the 1000s. This is where you looked at the big picture. This is where you sat down and reasoned and, and blended uh, faith and reason together. In this window of time, there was a light of hope in the 13 and 1400s in the realm of education and how they taught their children. Instead of just growing up to, to do their job and listen to what the priest told them on the, in, at the worship service, John Wycliffe, that name might ring a bell, John Huss, and the Hussites and Moravians were two groups of people, Waldensians and the Lollards. Fascinating group of people who were persecuted for being a Christian and for sharing the Bible in the, the language of the common people. Their goal for teaching their young people, they started schools and under great persecution, their goal in education was for their young people to carry the scripture in their hearts. That's why they wanted to teach their children, to train their children. Their end goal was so that their young people would carry the scripture in their heart. Their goal was that everybody should learn to read and write. And then we enter the Reformation era, an era of change, reform. And along comes Martin Luther. Martin Luther was a champion for Christian education. And this is his statement back in the 1500s. When schools prosper, the church remains righteous and her doctrine pure. Young pupils and students are the seed and source of the church. If we were dead, whence would come our successors, if not from the schools? 
For the sake of the church, we must have and maintain Christian schools. So back then, Martin Luther believed, saw that the young people coming out of the schools were going to be the ones to lead the church. Therefore, he said the church needs to make sure there's Christian schools where their young people are learning and getting to an end result of what they want them to be instead of just haphazardly learning throughout life. So therefore, he pushed for a a Bible-centered Christian education. He pushed for a short school day. He pushed for music classes, discipline with love. He pushed for older people who would teach. But in this time, he struggled with parent apathy. Parents didn't buy in because it's going to cost. It's, how are we going to do this? So where did he have to go? To the government. So he went to the government and said, the government, we need to get these schools started. Catholic Church. We need to get schools started. Christian schools. Out of that came public schools because now the government is in control of the education. So now public schools entered the picture. Then we get uh, to the era of the pilgrims and the Puritans. Why did the pilgrims and the Puritans come to America? Freedom. Freedom. For what? Freedom for religion. And that's a common response. Freedom for religion. I think, and they were persecuted in Europe, I think the main reason that they came to America was for freedom of education. Yes, religious education, how to educate their children, get to an end result the way they wanted. And so, therefore, you have the pilgrims and Puritans coming to America so they can have the schools they want. First schools, they didn't have any grades. Oh, imagine that. No grades in school. Their end result was not to get good grades. Their end result was wanting to learn. Teachers were paid poorly but were respected. But as they moved and settled in, they shifted away from Bible-based learning to more vocational-based. So now you were educated not necessarily to be centered on the Bible, but rather so you can learn your job. There was a shift in the education after they moved here. Then you have the Mennonites in the 17 and 1800s. They were attracted to PA because PA allowed Christian schools. They believed the authority of the school came from the church. So they were the first to organize schools. And here's something for you to look up if you're intrigued with history and education. Look up Christopher Dock. He was a teacher who was found dead on his knees while praying for his students. He committed his life to Christian education, an amazing uh, founder of Christian education back in the 17 and 1800s. There was an overseer of the school in this time, in the middle of the 1800s, who said this, use your mind, not with selfish reasons, but to serve God and others. He posed that the reason of education is to love God and to serve others. That's, he, that's what he said why we should learn. Then in the 1850s, you have the McGuffey Reader, which was kind of a curriculum, you could say, a way of learning how to read and do math and so forth, came about. And because of that, it made it easier for organized schools to start. And out of that, the public schools again entered America. It was a good education, but it compromised, it was a compromise between religious and secular. So it's kind of that middle of the road. They had good morals, 
And most people called themselves Christians. Actually, a lot of Mennonites started teaching in the public schools back in the 1800s. It was government-run. There was excess of money, so they could dump the money into schools. And it has stayed this way to present. Public schools continue to be the main source of education in the country today. Then the Anabaptists, the Mennonites, as it entered the 1800s, or as the public schools came into the picture, they saw, you know what, that's a good option. I don't need to pay for that. And they're teaching good morals, therefore we're going to send our students, our children, to the public school. And that's what happened, and the Christian schools kind of fell by the wayside. There was not a need for them anymore, because they were sending to the public schools. Not all bad, but remember, it was a compromise between religious and secular. It was kind of in that middle road. In the late 1800s, into the 1900s, there was a a great decline in the morals, and that entered the schools. And the, the Mennonites looking in started to see the effects that it had on their children, in the school day, being with uh, their, their comrades and friends, and the effect it was having on them. So in 1925, there was a, a court case out in Oregon, actually a Catholic schools, Society of Sisters versus Pierce, argued against the case of, we need to be allowed to have our own schools, because now it was all public school, government run. They went to courts, and they got the freedom to have their own schools. And if you look in the history in the middle of the 1900s, there's cases in Iowa and Indiana where the Amish had to stand up to have their own education. Stories of school buses pulling into the Amish schools and telling the children to jump on to take them to public schools. And the Amish children disappeared in the cornfield. And then they went to court and the governor actually came to the local school district and actually was on the side of the Amish. That is only about 60 years ago when that happened. So the Christian schools we have today did not come without a great price of gaining back that ability to have Christian schools and teach to the end results that we envision. So that was in the middle of the 1900s. In the 1940s, there was an escape from the public system. And it was more, as the Christian schools were starting, it was more an escape from the system rather than asking the question, what do we want our church to become? By the 1950s, there was over about 40 Mennonite schools scattered around the U.S. and more continued to start in the late uh, 1900s. And then you had the Mennonites, Anabaptists starting curriculums, CLP, uh, Rod and Staff, various curriculums like that, who wanted books from a Christian perspective to teach their children. So that's a brief history over hundreds of years. That's what happened. Intriguing. I I went over that in detail to to see that's what happened. That's how people have trained their children. And you can see the up and down of people, people groups, put it that way, who wanted an end result for their children. Therefore, many had to fight for those freedoms to be able to bring their children to the place that they wanted to. And so now that brings us to where are we today? Our school has significant impacts on who we are and where our churches are going to go. And I think it's important that we talk about school and how are our teachers, how are our students, our children learning? What are our teachers teaching? 
So where are we today? And then I'm going to give a quick of where our Christian schools can become. And I hope, again, I want to inspire us as we think about why do we do, I say why school, that's the title, but why do we do learning? Why do we teach our children? Today, where are we? Today I see various uh, types of education. I see the school, I see the homeschool, there's online options for schooling, and there's so many resources at our fingertips. And I think it's a great time, but it's also a scary time. I see today the school that disconnected from the church. We have a lot of schools, and some are church schools, yet I see a disconnect in recognizing that the, the students coming out of our schools asking the question of what do we want them to become and how are they going to lead our church in the future? What is our church going to be in 50 years from now? How are our schools bringing us to that point? Another thing I see, where are we today? I see we are losing the brotherhood. Back to Sparta. Did um, Theodore's mom have a choice where Theodore went to school? No. It was a community decision. Today we have homeschooling in school and online school, and it's great, a lot of resources, but the families choose. Individual families choose. Oh, well, we're going to choose what's right for us. And there's not, it's not all wrong. It's so great, but we're losing that. What do we as a church want of our students? Therefore, we are going to choose this. So we're losing that brotherhood as in, in this uh, age of independence, getting to choose and do as we wish. Not all wrong, but I see that's where we are. I also see that wealth creation is our focus. As I look around at the wealth, specifically in our Anabaptist community, it is great. We are prosperous. But I'm starting to see that is becoming our focus. Our decisions of, of, of life are based around the money we are making. And the reason I say that is because I hear that at school. Well, if I get out of school, I can make more money. Or if I go here, I can do more money. Or, Mr. Weaver, why am I learning this? How is this going to help my job? Oh, it's all about the job. So I see that's where we are. We're, we're becoming too focused on the wealth that we're creating. I see family that's in crisis. So if in school, that's where they learn. So I'm going to pay the school to uh, teach my children. But the first seven years are the most crucial years of a child's life. And I, and, and I see the family losing that focus, losing that vision of those first seven years are so foundational. And go back and listen to the series that Val Yoder taught a couple months ago. So good to think about as young families what we want our children to become. I see a tech crisis the media, addicted to, to many types of media that is affecting of where we are going to become. I see an economy. School isn't cheap. Learning isn't cheap. It takes an investment as a parent, and I'm realizing that this fall I'm going to have a first child going to school. It's not easy. I see also a postmodernism, and by that I mean losing integrity. There's a gap in what we say and what we do. I, I hear good things in church, great comments in the Sunday school class, and then I see what's worked out, the decisions families are making, and I ask, is that lining up? So I say that to say, in, in the ear, I see a gap in what we say and what we do, and that's easy. I look at myself, what we say and what we do should line up. 
Another thing I see in our, as we think about the ability to educate the ch- our children the way we want, whether it's homeschool or sending to a Christian school, having a vision for what we want our children to become, it's essential. Sometimes I hear the comment, oh, it's so nice to have a Christian school. It's not nice, it's essential. It's an essential part of our church that we have Christian education. The ability to have it is such a blessing, and I don't know how long we're going to have it. And I see, I, I see us viewing education more as a requirement. Oh, once I get through so many grades, ah, then I'm done. And we're doing it because, oh, how many hours did the state say we have to be at school? Yes, that's a part of it. That's a part of being under the requirements of, 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 of the government. But it's so much more than just school existing because we have to. It's an essential part of our children learning. So I see that's where we are. Now, where to go? And this is my vision that I want us, I think we should talk about as we think about our children and how they learn. Where can we go? It is this. I have a vision that we talk about education school that has a purpose. The Spartan community amazed me at how they were committed to the purpose. Where do we want our students to become? I believe that if we have a focus of getting them to the place of graduating with, you know what, I am here to love God and love others. Therefore, I'm going to learn all I can so that wherever God calls me, I'm a well-rounded individual to invest there. It's not about learning for me that's going to benefit me. It's about learning for the kingdom of God. So I envision education with a purpose, producing lovers of God rather than lovers of money. Less high schoolers who say, I can make more money if I go to work. Or a teacher, less teachers saying, I'm not making enough. Or parents switching to a ch- uh, homeschooling because it's cheaper. And I say that comment carefully. Uh, homeschooling is great. But when the purpose of it is so it's cheaper, that's where I raise the question. What are we, where are we educating our children for? Education with a purpose. We want to produce lovers of God. We must see ourselves as a broken world. Therefore, we educate our children to be lovers of God. Another vision I have for education is career teachers, teaching what matters most. I have a vision for the church and the school to get together and say, what do we want for our children? How can we get the church, the school asking, how can we get behind the church? And I see a church caring deeply about our schools. School is developing the future church, and so we need to have discussions on where our children are becoming. So with that, I get to the end, and I just say this. I hope I inspired to think about what our children are becoming. Our children should hear us getting excited about school and learning, even if it's hard and expensive. My vision is this. School is a community effort that is equipping students to love God by serving others. Career teachers who pursue excellence in academic relationships and love for life. So I hope I inspired you. And now one more call to action, if I may. As we looked at God, the verses about God being uh, wanting or seeing the need for training our children, 
as we looked back and saw what people did, as we saw where we are, and I, hopefully I gave you a little insight to a vision of what we can become, if we want our young people to love God by serving others, there's another African proverb that I would like to leave you with, and that is, each one, teach one. And this goes right along with, it takes a village to raise a child. That's a mantra they repeated often. It takes everybody. And then what they said is this, each one, teach one. And what they meant by that is each of us has a responsibility to teach somebody else. Time out, Zach. I'm not a teacher. That's okay. You can get creative in the way you're teaching one. But if the village, if the community, if the church works together at training, at raising our young souls, we can develop people, young souls, who love God, the decisions they make in life as they're learning the math and the grammar and the science through school, they're saying, you know what, I am learning this to broaden my understanding of God, my love for him, and I'm going to use that to serve others. And each of us has a responsibility in the village to teach one. And that teach one may look different. That may mean teaching in a school. That may mean giving money to run schools. That may mean, as a grandparent, asking your grandchild a lot how school is going. It may mean building a new school if you're a carpenter. The list goes on and on. What I'm trying to say is this, it takes a village. And each of us has a responsibility in the education and the training of these young souls. One more story. And I will say this, the, the history that I gave you came from other people that is not original with me, so I want to pass on that credit to those individuals. It's a list of them. And I also want to recognize, as I was speaking, I, I have a passion for Christian schools. And so maybe I'm a little biased. So if you want to push back on my, my thoughts about training and school, push back, please. But I have a passion and a vision that the church thinks about and cares about deeply where our students, where our children are becoming. And one more story. As I think back to my school years, what affected me most was not the academics and the things we learned, but the teachers who cared. And one teacher in specific in the fifth and sixth grade, he came to me and he said, hey, Zach, do you think you could memorize all the countries and their capitals around the world? I laughed at him. I said, what do I need that to learn that for? He kept pushing me, and he did put some prizes on the table, and he pushed me to do that. So I sat down and I studied, and then I was given a blank map and labeled most of all the countries and, the ca and their capitals in the sixth grade. Today, I have an understanding of the geography around the world. Back then, I asked him, I said, but when am I ever going to use this? He simply looked at me, and he said, Zach, it's not about you and how it's going to benefit you. It's about stretching your mind and learning things for the kingdom of God. That stuck with me to this day. And so my passion is this, that as I'm involved in education, I could pass on to my students. It's not about us, but it's about loving God and loving others. And the next time a student asks me, why do I need to learn this? I'm going to say, because we are servants of God, we love him, and we don't know how we're going to be using his service. So therefore, we're going to learn all we can. So God bless you. And I want to also say I'm involved with some of you 
specifically at Reach, and I know your family's supporting Lebanon Valley, New Haven, uh, what other schools do we have represented here? And I love it, and I commend you. I do see Way of Jesus. I do see uh, a support for the Christian schools, and I wanna bless you in that, so keep it up. And I hope this morning, as we looked at education, that it inspires you to care deeply about it. With that, why don't we all stand? I will have a word of prayer and maybe a chorus of song after that and you can be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and say thank you. We want to praise you for all you've given us. And I thank you for the dear young souls, children. And I recognize that they need training, they need to learn. And as we think about what they are learning, I pray that we as a village, a brotherhood, would care deeply about what our students are becoming. And may we have a goal that our students, our children, get to the place of of basing their decisions off their love for God. And by their love for you, may they serve others. Thank you for Waterworks and the church here. I pray that you would bless each one, everybody who is here this morning as we go into our week. May we be faithful and be lights for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.